As Jeremiah speaks of judgment, we see how it is that Jesus comes and doesn't deviate at all from that message, but himself still speaks of of sin and its consequences. These passages, Jeremiah chapter 14 and verse 7, this is Jeremiah interceding on behalf of the people. You'll notice the pronouns he uses are plural. He includes himself here. He says, though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your namesake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you, O you hope of Israel, its Savior in time of trouble. Why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us. We are called by your name. Do not leave us. Thus says the Lord concerning this people. They've loved to wander thus. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. The Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Then notice chapter 15 and verse 1. The Lord said to me, to Jeremiah, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. Then, in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, I read something about our Lord Jesus. Familiar verse, I trust to many. Verse 21 2 Corinthians 5.21 The Apostle writes, For our sake, He, that is Jesus, uh, that is God, the Father, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. And then in 1 Timothy, in chapter 2, Verse 5, we read this of our Lord Jesus. Again, the apostle writes of him. He says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, this man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, who is the testimony given at the proper time. And then the author of Hebrews in chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 23, the author of Hebrews speaking of these priests who were mediators, who interceded on behalf of the people in the Old Testament. He writes of them like this. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save us Save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jeremiah, how do I say this, was in an unenviable position. Because on the one hand, he was called as a prophet to identify with God, to represent God to the people. 
And he was called to identify with God's righteousness and holiness. Thus he was called to identify with the justice of God's judgment against the people because of their sin. Yet on the other hand, he was a man of Judah. He was born there. He knew these people. He was, he was among them. He was one of them. So also at the same time, he was able to empathize with them because of the judgment that was to come upon them. One author put it like this. He said, Jeremiah felt the judgment of God from both sides. His heart broke for God when he saw what the people were doing against him. His heart broke for the people when he saw the judgment that was coming their way. And so in this passage, in in chapter uh, 7, of Jeremiah, we see Jeremiah realizing the need for someone to stand between God and the people, uh, to, 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 to be their advocate, to, to be their intercessor, to be their mediator, somehow to go before them. There's a the great tradition in the history of Israel of mediators going Moses before God concerning the people, Abraham going to God concerning the people, Samuel concerning the people going to God. And so, so Jeremiah takes that mantle up upon himself, upon himself and, and he says, you know, God, I, I realize our iniquities they testify against us he he wasn't he wasn't saying them he was saying us i'm a part of this god i get it i understand i'm part of this people and i want to intercede on on their behalf he says don't be like a stranger to us remain among us don't be like a man confused You, you know what to do you know how to help us so please help us but it had gone too far judgment was coming pronouncement had been made and so there's a sense in which god rejects Jeremiah's interceding on behalf of the people. His mediating, going between the people and God, didn't work, if you will. And there's a sense in which, too, God says, no, don't take offense to this, Jeremiah. Even if Moses and and, and Samuel came before me, I, I still wouldn't accept theirs either. This is just where we are in redemptive history. This is where we are. I, I won't accept your intercession. I won't accept your mediating on behalf of the people. But you can sense the need for someone to be that for us, to be a mediator for us. You, you, you know this idea of being a mediator. Perhaps you've played that role in the lives of some friends. There's hostility between two friends, whether it's in family or friendships or perhaps in an employment situation, however that may be. And, and, and you're there and they both come to you and somehow it's, it's your task the mantle placed upon you to bring peace between these two who have a hostility between them. And you represent each to the other. And you know, as mediator, oftentimes you're the one that gets shot in the end. <laughs> or, uh, but, but, but that's just sort of how that happens. But we see the need. Someone, there is this judgment of God coming to the people. There's this rebellion against the people. How are God and these people ever to come together ever to mediate. Well, there's this one who is the mediator, this one for whom Jeremiah's heart cried is fulfilled in our Lord Jesus because he is, in fact, as we know, our mediator. He's the one who comes and and stands perfectly between us and God because in him we both meet because he's both God and man. 
He, he represents both perfectly. He's acceptable to both perfectly because he's the perfect God. Of course, he's the perfect man as he comes to God, this one who's born of a virgin, this one who is God with us. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's God with us. He perfectly represents God in this mediation process. And yet he's a man. He's, he's born just as we, the scripture says, yet without sin. And so he perfectly represents God to us and perfectly represents us to God. Now we know what really keeps us from God. We, we know that thing. It's, it's our sin. It's our rebelliousness against him. It's, it's his holiness of God. It's the, it's the judgment that is right and righteous. And, and so how is that ever to be overcome in such a way that we can be joined together with God so that we can have peace with him? And that's this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says that this one who stands before God on our behalf, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God, acceptable to him. Thus the passage in 1 Timothy in chapter 2, that there is one God and one mediator between God and man. There isn't a number of mediators. There's, there's no other way. Jeremiah proved that. He said that his mediation didn't work. Moses and Samuel's mediation wouldn't work. Not at this point, not to this extent, not to save us from the very judgment of God. Only one mediator would work, just Jesus in him. There is, there is peace. Thus the author of Hebrews says, listen, he lives to intercede. He's always standing in glory, alive, speaking our name. If there's any accusation that comes against us, he's our advocate, he's our defense attorney, he's the one who comes and says, no, 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 that one is forgiven. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn. We sing it occasionally, we don't sing it very much anymore, the tune is a little... Suspect, but but but, but it, it, great words. He says, "Arise, my soul, arise! Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears before the throne. My surety stands. My name is written on his hands." Ah, oh, yes, that's the one, Jesus. He stands in glory on our behalf. Do you understand that? Do you know that? When you sin, and you confess. Do you realize there's real forgiveness because this one who died for you stands for you? And he says, oh, that's forgiven. That's forgiven. That's for-. He knows. Well, he goes on to write, He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love is precious blood to please. His blood atoned for all our race and sprinkles now on the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary, hands, feet, side. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Forgive him, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. Father hears his prayer, his anointed one. He cannot turn away his, the presence of his son. His spirit answers to the blood and tells me, I'm born of God. It's impossible for God to say no to his son. When we're in him, we know we're forgiven in him. My God has reconciled his pardoning voice. I hear he owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence I can draw nigh. And Father Abba, Father, cry. We know that as we make confession for our sin, that he hears us.